Let's go in our Bibles to Psalms in chapter 90, if you will, the Psalms and the 90th chapter. We're going to look at this entire chapter, but we'll read just the heart of it, starting in verse 9 down to verse 12 as our text, and then we'll look at a few other verses in just a moment. Psalm 90, and I'll start reading with verse number 9. The Bible says in verse 9 of Psalm 90, For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. The days of our years are threescore years and ten. And if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knoweth the power of thine anger? Even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. So, teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. It's a lot easier to spend money than it is to earn money. Most of us have figured that out. Now, little children, they have an easy time spending money. I remember when I was a kid, my parents would take me to a store sometimes, and they'd say, go play in the toy aisle. We'll pick you up and we're ready to go. And I'd go in that toy aisle, and I wanted it all. I mean, I'd see something, I'd grab it, and boy, I thought, man, if I could have this, I'd be happy, you know. And when my parents would show up, I'd have three or four or five things I wanted to buy, but they'd say, no, 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 put it back, put it back, put it back. We can't afford that. My parents used to say, money doesn't grow on trees. Well, duh. Now, today, that makes no sense to a kid. Didn't make any sense back then. Today, you have to tell a kid, money doesn't come from machines. Because if you tell your kids today you don't have any money, they'll point to a machine and say, go get some. And they don't understand you have to put money into the machine before you can take money out of the machine. Now, once you get a job and you begin to earn money, then you realize what it takes to earn what you spend. Now, all of us this morning are spending our life. We are spending time in church this morning. You're not earning any bonus minutes by coming. You're spending time in church today. Someone may ask you tomorrow, how did you spend your weekend? How did you spend your Christmas? We are spending our life, as verse 9 says, as a tale that is told. And the psalmist gives us three reminders in this chapter about this stash of cash we call time or life. First, he talks about the source of life. If you live to be 70 and The Bible indicates here that that's the average lifespan of a person, three score years and ten. Now, some people live longer than that. My mother lives with us. She's 90 years old. She'll be 90 in February. She's lived a long life. Uh, There are other people that live much shorter lives than that. 
But the average, according to this chapter, is three score and ten. Twenty being a score, so three of those plus ten, three score and ten. So if you live to be 70, you've got 25,550 days to spend. If you live to be 70, you've got 613,200 hours to spend. If you live to be 70, you've got 36,792,000 minutes to spend. Now, where does this come from? Well, the psalmist answers that in verse number one. He says, Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. I think all of us in this room today understand that our life is a gift from God. It's something that God has given to us. And the psalmist points out in verse number two that this God who gives us life is an eternal God. In verse 2, he says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hadst formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Now, I'm going to be real honest with you. I cannot explain to you in human terms the eternality of God. I don't understand it. I can't fathom it. My human brain doesn't comprehend it. I can understand how something that exists today has the potential to continue to exist. Uh, for example, this pen. It's, 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 it's an object that's real. I, I can see it. I can touch it. It's tangible. I, I can use it. It's, it's a real object. It's not a figment of my imagination. It's real. Okay? Now, it exists. I know that. And I understand in my mind that it has the potential to exist for a long time. If I take care of it, if I treat it properly, it, it, it'll last probably a couple of weeks <laughs> before it runs out of ink. But if I put it in a vault, if I, if I seal it in some kind of a container, this could be an object in a museum 2,000 years from now. We have objects like that. So we understand how something that exists today has the potential to exist for a long period of time. But how do you comprehend that this has always existed? But that's your God. He has always existed. He exists today. And he will never cease to exist. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, which is, which was, and which is to come. I can't comprehend that. That's beyond my human understanding. But I'm thankful that the Bible teaches us that God is an eternal God. And in Deuteronomy 32 and verse 27, he says, The eternal God is our refuge, and underneath are his everlasting arms. Aren't you glad that your life is in the hands of an eternal God? Someone who will exist forever? He's an eternal God, but he's also an excellent God. In verse number 3, he says, Thou turnest man to destruction, and sayest, Return, ye children of men. For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past, and as a watch in the night. Thou carriest them away as with a flood. They are as asleep. In the morning they are like grass which groweth up. In the morning it flourisheth and groweth up. In the evening it is cut down and withereth. For we are consumed by thine anger and by thy wrath are we troubled. As the psalmist thinks about God in verses 1 and 2, his mind then goes to himself and he realizes humanly that he is but, he is but grass. He, he is grass that's going to one day wither and die. In, in, in comparison to God, we are nothing. We are frail creatures of dust. 
Yet God is an excellent God. He is the rock. His work is perfect. All his ways are judgment, a God of truth and without iniquity. Just and right is he. Boy, aren't you glad that God never makes a mistake? Someone has said when God makes his first mistake, he'll cease to be God. And by the way, he's not going to make a mistake in your life. He's a perfect God. He's an excellent God. He has an excellent plan for our life. His way, his will is that which is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. He's he's an eternal God. He's an excellent God, but he's also an enlightened God. Look at verse number 8. Thou set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. There is nothing about us that God does not know. Now, there are many things about you I don't know. There are things about me you do not know. But there is nothing hidden from God. Oh God, thou knowest my foolishness. My secret sins are not hid from thee. If we have forgotten the name of our God or stretched out our hands to a strange God, will not God search this out? For he knoweth the secrets of the heart. Jesus said in Luke 12 and verse 2, There's nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Therefore, whatsoever you have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light. That which you have spoken in the ear in closets shall be proclaimed from the housetops. Neither is there any creature, Hebrews 4, 13, that is not uh, 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 manifest before God. All things are open and naked under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him? Do not I fill the heavens and the earth? The psalmist said, Whither shall I go from thy spirit, and whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, Surely the darkness shall cover me, even the darkness shall be light about thee. The darkness and the light are both alike unto thee. Did you know that God even knows our thoughts? Now, I can't read your mind. You could be sitting here focused right on me, thinking about something 100 miles from here. When I was a teenager growing up in church, we, we were allowed on Sunday nights as teenagers to sit together as a youth group. And our parents and pastor, they had, had a little section there where us teenagers could sit. And we had a kid in our youth group. His name was Bob Gustafson. And Bob was one of two people I've met in my lifetime who could sleep with his eyes open. And, and, and Bob, pastor would get up to preach, and Bob would kind of settle back in his seat. He'd fold his arms like this, and he'd look right at the pastor. I'm sure our pastor thought, that Bob kid, he listens better than anybody in our church. I was sitting next to him. He was snoring. Now, now you could be looking right at me, but thinking about something else, and I would never know it. But did you know that God knows our thoughts? 
In Genesis chapter 6, God saw the wickedness of man, that it was great upon the earth, and that the imaginations of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. David said to Solomon in 1 Chronicles 28 and verse 9, uh, Know thou the God of thy father, and serve him with a perfect heart and a willing mind, for God searcheth all the hearts and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. In fact, in Ezekiel 11 and verse 5, God said, I know the things that come into your mind, every one of them. I've never had a thought God didn't know. I've never had an attitude God didn't know. I've never had a desire that God didn't know. I've never had a motive that God didn't know. He's an enlightened God. And this God who is eternal and excellent and enlightened holds our life in his hands. He's the source of life. But notice secondly the reminder about the stipend of life. Now when I went to college I'm not sure I could have defined or given you a definition of the word stipend. I perhaps had heard the word I'm not sure I would have known what it meant. But when I went to college I was playing football and uh, you know, in high school, when you have football games, you have some home and some away, and you, you go to an away game, you jump on a bus, and you go play a game, maybe 30 miles away, maybe an hour away. Sometimes we'd go as far as two, two hours away, but we'd come back. But in college, some of those away games, we'd be gone for a couple of days, sometimes a whole week. So we'd get all our gear, all our stuff, we'd come out to the bus, and, and there was always somebody standing at the, at the foot of the bus stairs, and as we got on that bus, they would hand us an envelope. And inside the envelope was some money. It was called a stipend, or a per diem. In college, you pay your tuition, that pays for your professors and your instruction, your courses and so on, and then you pay room and board, That's, that covers your, your, your bed in the dormitory and your food in the cafeteria. And, and so, uh, we, but we weren't going to be there for a couple of days or a, a week. So they would give us money back as a stipend or per diem to take care of those things on the road. I was standing in an airport one day waiting for a plane. It was late and we were all kind of huddled around the gate there. And there was a young man, he was standing a little bit off from me. He was, he was quite tall. And he, he was on his cell phone, he was texting, and he was real tall. And I, I thought, I wonder how tall that guy is. And so I kind of I made my way over there kind of slowly. And I got over where he was, and he kind of looked up at me, and I said, uh, do you play basketball? He was 6'10". And he kind of looked down at me, and he kind of smiled. He said, yeah, matter of fact, I do. I said, well, where do you play? He said, I play for the University of California. His name was Scott. And Scott was a delightful young man, and we began to talk as we waited for the plane and, and uh, found out that his, he, he was a Christian. He knew the Lord as his Savior, and, and his dad, in fact, was a pastor of a Bible church in Nevada. And so we began to talk a little bit about the Lord and about, about basketball and, and uh, just enjoyed each other for a moment there in company. And, and as we talked, I said, now, Scott, when you travel for the University of California, they give you a per diem or a stipend out on the road, right? And he goes, oh, yeah. I said, how much do they give you? I was just curious. He said, well, it depends on where we're playing. If we're in L.A. or San Francisco or Denver, a bigger city, it's more. But if we're in a smaller town, it's less. He said, but it's, it averages out to about $65 a meal. I said, $65 a meal? No wonder the state of California is bankrupt. You know, 
how much they gave us when I was playing football? Now, I realize this was back in the Old Testament, but when I was playing football, they gave us 75 cents a meal. 75 cents. Now, it was a different era. Uh, gas when I was in college was 28 cents a gallon. Uh, I, uh, I got saved when I was 15 years old at Bible camp, summer Bible camp. And in fact, I'm, I'm going back this year to preach the 75th anniversary of that camp. I was say 52 years ago at that camp. But uh, you know how much a week of camp cost when I went to Bible camp as a teenager? The year I got saved, 15 years old, I went to summer Bible camp from Monday to Saturday for $13. It was a different era. In college, I worked a construction job hanging drywall, made $1.10 an hour. After taxes, 97 cents. It's a different era. 75 cents. And you could go to McDonald's in those days. There weren't very many of them. They were just coming on the scene. But we would stop at one in Milwaukee on our way back into college. And it would go to that McDonald's. And you could buy what we would call a value meal. Big Mac, fries, and a Coke for under 75 cents. Did you know that God has given us a stipend of life? Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 2 says, A time to be born and a time to die. Now, all of us have a birthday, right? We all have a birthday, right? You have one? Sir, do you have a birthday? When's your birthday? When's your birthday? December 13th. December 13th. You just had a birthday. And, and, and your wife? October I'm not asking you the year now, just hang on. I'll be careful. Okay, October, good. And your birthday, man? December 13th as well. We all have a birthday. Did you know we all have a death day? Now, we don't know when it is, but we have one. See, we've got to understand something. We don't die because we get old. We don't die because we get sick. We don't die because we meet an unfortunate accident. We die because it is appointed unto men once to die. Job said, is there not an appointed time to man upon the earth? Are not his days as the days of an hireling? The eye that has seen me shall see me no more. Thine eyes are upon me and I am not. Thou shalt seek me in the morning, but I shall not be. We have a stipend of life. Your story, my story, has an ending did you notice there in verse 9? We spend our years as a tale that is told. My wife and I, we enjoy reading biographies. I like to read about preachers. I like to read about athletes. We sometimes read about a politician or a missionary or somebody you know that's lived their life. It's fun to read about those life stories. But I've noticed they all have a last chapter. Your story has an ending. When we first started West Coast Baptist College, we decided that we needed an ensemble, a music ensemble that could travel and represent the college. And uh, every college has those, and we wanted to be like every college. And so we, we thought we need an ensemble. Well, we only had 43 students the first year. The talent pool was kind of shallow. And, and I thought, uh, do we have enough kids to put in an ensemble? Well, we had some tryouts, and we, we, we heard them sing, you know, and play their instruments. And we, we found six girls. 
And these girls, they were kind of multi-talented. They blended well together in a singing group. And uh, three of them played the piano. And a couple of them played a flute. And, and uh, they, one played a violin. And they, they had some, some abilities that we could put together in this ensemble. So we, we, we began working on their repertoire, you know, to get it ready. And, and then we booked them in a different church every night for seven weeks during the next summer where they could travel and go to these churches and, 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 and talk about the school and, and minister for the Lord. Well, we got it all set up, and then they said, now, Getch, you're going to travel with them. I said, you're kidding. Me? And six girls in a van for seven weeks? Whoa. Now, these girls, they were all extroverts. Now, the female gender talks more than the male gender. That, that's a fact. In fact, facts reveal that most women, they average 25,000 words a day. Men average 10,000 words a day. Now, I know what you ladies are thinking. That's because you guys don't listen. We have to tell you twice. I, 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 get, I, understand. I get it. But women talk more than men anyway. But these, these girls were extroverts. I mean, they were nonstop talk. From the time we got in the van to the time I dropped them off at night, they were just constant conversation. Now, I am an introvert by nature. You might, you might not know that from preaching, but I am an introvert by nature. If you see me sitting down here all by myself, please don't feel sorry for me. I'm having the time of my life. <laughs> I have imaginary friends. <laughs> I have a t-shirt at home that says, my imaginary friend doesn't like you either. <laughs> I hate people. I'm just kidding. But I'm not a talker. I, I don't have to talk to be happy. And I, 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 I'm an introvert. So I'm in this van and these girls are talking, talking, talking. And I'm driving and listening. Well, if you travel with people for that long a time and in that small of a space, you've got to have some rules. We had rules. You've got to be on time. We've got to leave at a certain time. We've got to get to the next church. So you cannot be late. You've got to be on time. Uh, you've got to clean the van. You can't make it a mess. You've got to keep it up. And, and we had these rules. And if you broke a rule, we would find them. We'd find them a quarter or find them 50 cents or whatever. And, and, and so, you know, I had to put some teeth in the rules. Well, we had these rules. Well, one day, we had been traveling about three and a half weeks. And we had an early morning departure, 5 a.m., and we all got to the church, got the van packed, jumped in, had a word of prayer, started out the parking lot, and one of the girls said, I have a new rule we need to vote on. I said, okay, let's hear it. She said, well, I just noticed that especially these early mornings, we tend to be a little grouchy, and we tend to complain and gripe, and she said, we ought not to do that. We ought, we ought to have a good spirit, and uh, so I, I think we ought to make a rule that if somebody in the van is talking and someone else in the van doesn't like what's being said, they can say, the end. <laughs> and the person has to stop talking or pay a dollar. I like this rule. <laughs> I like this rule a lot. I wish this was a rule for all of society. 
Well, we talked about it, you know, we discussed it, and I thought, you know, this is a good rule. I mean, I, I, I tend to be a little grouchy in the morning myself, and I don't want to say something that's negative or discouraging, and, and, and these girls ought to be able to call me on that. And so I, I thought this is a good rule. So we talked about it, and we voted 7-0, passed the rule. So now, if you were talking and someone else didn't like what you were saying, they could say the end, you had to stop or pay a dollar. So we go on down the road. And we get a ways down the road, and one of the girls, her name was Cassie. And Cassie is a fine girl, very godly girl. She's on the mission field today. Her daughter's a student at West Coast now. And Cassie, she loved to talk. But, but Cassie was, well, have you ever heard somebody tell a joke, and it would have been funny if they hadn't told it? <laughs> that was Cassie. She was boring. Her speech didn't have any color. It, it, it wasn't vivid. It, 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 it was boring. And, and Cassie started droning on about something, and, and the girls were all kind of rolling their eyes. And, and then I caught the eye of the girl that made the rule. She had kind of a twinkle in her eye, and I thought, oh, no. And sure enough, she let Cassie go for about three minutes, and all of a sudden she said, the end. <laughs> and Cassie had to stop talking. It was great. It was awesome. <laughs> The rest of that summer, Cassie would open her mouth, and we'd say, the end. <laughs> and she'd slink back in the seat and cry. It was great. <laughs> you know, I see all six of those girls quite often. In fact, the one who made the rules, my daughter-in-law. But anyway, <laughs> all those girls are serving the Lord today, and I, I see them out and about. And, and every time we're together, we talk about that story, and we laugh. But you know what? One of these days... You and I are going to be going through life, and God's going to say, the end. But, but, but God, I, I'm not saved yet. The end. But, but God, I, I'm a little behind on my Bible reading. The end. But, but, but God, I was going to witness to my neighbors. The end. Your story has an ending. Boast not thyself of tomorrow. Thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. What is your life? It's even a vapor. It appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. But not only does your story have an ending, your strength has an expiration. Did you notice the rest of verse 10? If he allows us to live fourscore years, if we live to be 80, Yet is there strength, labor, and sorrow? Some of you, like me, are figuring out that life gets harder. We can't do the things we once did. Our mind says yes, our body says no. Our strength has an expiration. The voice said cry. He said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass. The glory, the, 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 as the flower of the field, so he flourisheth. And the wind passeth over, and it is not. And the place thereof shall know it no more. Our strength has an expiration. I love watching sports. I, I enjoy watching these athletes and their, their skills, their speed, their, their strength is amazing to me. But all of them know they're one injury away from it all being over. Ask Alex Smith. That man may never walk again. A few weeks ago, the quarterback of the Washington Redskins 
You see, every man at his best state, the Bible says, is altogether vanity. David said, there's but a step between me and death. We have a stipend of life. Now, in light of the fact that God is the source of our life, and he's already established the stipend of our life, the psalmist then reminds us about how to spend our life. In verse 12, he says, so teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. And he gives us great advice, starting in verse 14. He says, make your days count early. Oh, satisfy us early with thy mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Let me talk to the young people for a minute. You young people down here, scattered about, let me talk to you for a minute. Make your days count early. Don't say, well, when I get to college, or when I get married, or when I get a career, then I'll serve the Lord. No, make your days count early. Did you know bad habits are hard to break? But you know what? Good habits are hard to break. I started going to church nine months before I was born. And I pretty much go to church every day of my life. It's a good habit that's hard to break. I don't know if your pastor does this. Pastor Chapel, every once in a while, he moves our midweek service to Tuesday night. We do it Thanksgiving week. We do it, move it up to Tuesday night. That's kind of good, you know, it's a different night. You get an email from the church, hey, don't forget church tonight, and it's going to be great, special, and we go in, it's kind of different to be there on a Tuesday night. And then Wednesday comes, 7 o'clock. And you're like, what am I supposed to do now? <laughs> I mean, you can't go to Walmart, somebody might see you. My wife and I, we go in our house, we turn off all the lights, lock the door, and pray. The rapture doesn't happen until at least 8.15, because we're supposed to be in church. It's just weird. Why? Because good habits are hard to break. Listen, if you establish some good habits while you're young, if you'll be faithful to church, if you'll hand out tracts when you're young, if you'll, you'll tithe that, that, that allowance money, you know what, you'll have no trouble when you're 30 and 40 serving the Lord. Make your days count early. And may I say to those of us that are older, make your day count early. I realize we're not all up at the crack of dawn. We're not all, you know, chicken people that, you know, boy, hey, we're ready to go. But start your day with the Lord. Maybe it's better to wait until noon or the evening to read your Bible and spend alone time with God. But at least start the day with the Lord. Get one of these songs going through your mind. Get a prayer request on your heart. Uh, get a verse of scripture and mull it in your mind. Your whole day will go a lot better if you let your days count early. But then he says, make sure your days count in evil. In verse 15, make us glad according to the days wherein thou hast afflicted us and the years wherein we have seen evil. I don't think I have to prove to you that these are evil days. Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things that you've learned and been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Listen, just because the days are evil doesn't give us a pass. Redeem in the time. Why? Because the days are evil. Don't forget the last part of the verse. We're to make our days count. Why? Because these are evil days. All of the darkness in this world cannot put out one light. One light can dispel a lot of darkness, but all the darkness, no matter how thick it gets, cannot put out your light. So let your light shine before men that it may 
Glorify your Father which is in heaven. Make your days count in evil, and then make your days count for eternity. In verse 16, he says, Let thy work appear unto thy servants, and thy glory unto their children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands, establish thou it. Someone has said, if you want your days to count, live them for something that outlasts them. Well, what's going to outlast my life? Well, it's not this. Because this is all staying here when I leave. It's not fame. I couldn't tell you who won the Super Bowl four years ago, but at the time it seemed pretty important. So what's going to outlast my life? There's only one answer to that, and that's the souls of men. The only thing we're taking with us out of this earth are other people. So what on our to-do list has to do with that? You're like me, I'm like you. We get a lot of stuff on our to-do list, and this time of the year we got extra stuff on there. But sometimes I have to look at my to-do list and, and say, does any of this have to do with eternity? Because it consumes a lot of my time, but it's all going to stay here. Several years ago now, I was asked to preach a men's retreat out at Camp Ironwood. Camp Ironwood's about two and a half hours from our campus. Normally, a meeting that close, I would drive back and forth. I was going to be there for a few days. It was going to start on Thursday at 5 o'clock and go through Saturday at noon. And normally I would come back Thursday night and teach my classes Friday morning, go back out. I do that a lot during the school year, back and forth meetings. But they'd asked me to do some sessions for the men on Friday morning, and so I decided I would do that. But that would mean I couldn't teach on Friday morning, so I thought I might as well stay out at the camp. So I got everything together and left about 3 o'clock on Thursday afternoon and drove out to the camp, arriving right at 5. The men were gathering, they were going into the dining hall for the evening meal, and I joined them. About 200 men there, and we had a great meal and a great time of fellowship. And all of a sudden, the director of the camp, his name was Sam, he got up and he said, all right, men, service starts in five minutes. Down at the meeting hall, get your Bible, and we'll meet you down there in five minutes. We got two preachers tonight, Brother Getz will preach first. And I thought, whoa, time for the service already. Well, I was ready to preach. I had my Bible in the car, so I ran out. I got my Bible and went down to the meeting hall, and we had a great time, great service. It went till about 10, 15. Two sermons and a lot of skits and songs and just a great time with the men. About 10, 15, I'm walking out of that, that, that meeting hall, and, and the director, he says, Brother Gatch, have you been to your cabin yet? I said, no, no, I got here kind of later, and I thought, but I'm, I'm good. I know where it is. He said, well, I'll walk with you. I said, no, you don't have to worry about me. I knew where it was. I stayed at Ironwood before. They have a cement block building. It's got four rooms in it, and they put your name on the door, and they got a little kitchenette there you can use, and, and I knew where it was. I said, I, I'm fine. You don't have to worry about me. He said, no, I'll walk with you. And I felt bad. You know, he had to take time for me, and so we walked out of that meeting hall. It's completely dark, and we're walking up the hill, but we're going the wrong way. And he's talking away about this great men's retreat, and I'm thinking, we're going the wrong way. But he's the director of the camp. Do I tell him? 
And we get about halfway up the hill and he stops. He says, well, here we are. And I looked and here was a cabin I'd never seen before. He said, well, I guess this is all yours. You can pull your car down here. The whole thing's yours. You got a, you got a bed in there, a shower. You got a sink. You got a toilet. You got a phone. If you need anything, all our numbers are listed there. Just give us a call. It's all yours. Here's the key. Wow. I got my own place. I don't have to go to that other place where there's four other people snoring in the room next to me. This is great. And so I got my car, pulled it down there, and I'm taking my stuff, and I threw it in the room. And quite frankly, I was tired. It's about 10.45 now. I was tired. I went to bed. Next morning, got up. I sat at the little desk there, and I studied a little bit, get ready for those sessions. And, and uh, 8 o'clock came. I, I went down to the meeting hall, and I taught the first session. There were four sessions. I taught 8, 9, 10, 11. Boy, by 11, I, by 12, I was ready for lunch. And Hopefully some R&R &R in the afternoon. And so I, I went back to that cabin to drop my Bible off and head to lunch. And I'm walking up that same hill, and I'm hearing my name. Brother Getch! Brother Getch! I turned. The guy was running, trying to catch up. I slowed down a little bit. He caught up. He said, Brother Getch, I, I have kind of an unusual request. I tried not to show it, but I'm thinking, oh, no. I'm going to miss lunch. <laughs> I've been here before. I said, what is it? He said, uh, can I go in your room? Oh, that was a little bit unusual. I was trying to think if I made the bed. I said, sir. Tears began welling up in his eyes. He said, Brother Getch, did you notice the, the picture on the wall of your room and the plaque? I said, uh, picture? Plaque? I, I don't believe I did. I, I got here kind of late last night. I didn't really look around much this morning. A, a picture? Tears are now flowing down his face. He said, Brother Getch, your, your cabin is dedicated to my son. He was killed four years ago today. I said, whoa, whoa, your son, how old was he? Fifteen. I said, you, you, you said he was killed. How? He said, Brother Getch, it was a Wednesday. And our teens were going to sing that night in church. Youth pastor asked if they could come 30 minutes early to practice one final time. Jacob had a friend who was a little bit older and had a driver's license, offered to pick up Jacob so we wouldn't have to go in early. We trusted him. They were good friends, good family. They were driving to church, and a drunk driver hit them. Jake didn't make it. He said at the funeral, people gave my wife and I cards and of sympathy, and when we got home and we opened them, we were given money. And he said, we didn't need the money. We had an insurance policy on Jacob, a life insurance policy that paid all the funeral costs. And he said, my wife and I, we got to praying and thinking about this money that we had, and we thought, let's give it to the camp as a memorial. Jacob loved it out here. He said he was saved out here. He got called to preach out here. He would have been a freshman this year at West Coast. He couldn't wait to get there and preach. So we gave the money to the camp, and we didn't know it, but they'd been praying they could build a, a separate cabin for the 
key speaker and there was enough money there to build your cabin. And he said they put a picture of Jacob in there, a plaque. He said, since it was four years ago today, I wondered if I could go in there for a minute. Wow. We were at the door now, and I was unlocking it, pushing it back, and I set my Bible on a chair inside, and I said, you go on in. Take your time. I sat on the porch. He was in there for maybe 15, 20 minutes. It seemed longer. Pretty soon he came out, wiping the tears. I said, sir, any time, any time you want to come by, you just let me know. I'll vacate. He thanked me and went on to lunch. I went in that room. I wanted to see that picture. And sure enough, if I had left the light on and laid back on that bed, I would have seen it right across from me. Picture of this 15-year-old boy and a plaque. Here's what it read. In loving memory of Jacob Ryan Castro, 1990 to 2005. Jacob was a camper and is now in heaven. To God be the glory. This plaque is here to remind each reader that every camper has a soul and that every soul will spend eternity somewhere. Nothing in this world is as important as the people you meet. One soul is worth more than all the world's treasure. For what is man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for a soul? One is worth more than all. And friend, if you're here today and you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, your soul is worth more than this whole world to God. And He wants to save you today. And friend, if you are saved, do our priorities need to be shifted on our to-do list to make sure that we're living for something eternal? We've just spent an hour and 12 minutes in church. I'm glad you did. How will you spend the rest of your life? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for life. And I thank you today that we have the privilege of stewarding that life for you. And Lord, I don't know the needs and hearts today before me, but I know that you do. And I pray, Lord, if there's one person here without Christ, that they would trust you as Savior today. I pray for us as believers that we would live our life with Christ preeminent and so work in our lives. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I wonder, is there someone here today you'd say, Preacher, if God said the end today, if God suddenly put his hands in the air and said, The end in my life were to be snatched from me, I do not know for sure that I'd go to heaven. I do not know for sure that to be absent from the body would be to be present with the Lord. And that concerns me. I need to be sure of that. And I'd like you to pray for me. I won't embarrass you, but I'd love to pray for you. If that's you, would you slip your hand in the air right now? Could I see it and have prayer for you? I promise I will. 
And I promise not to embarrass you. I wonder, Christian, has God spoken to our heart today about life? Only one life will soon be passed. And only what's done for Christ will last. Let's stand together if we can. Father, speak to us now in this closing invitation. We pray it in Jesus' name. As heads are bowed, the instrument is playing. Pastors here at the front. I'm going to ask our brother to lead us in an invitation hymn, if he will. And as we sing softly this song, if God spoke to your heart, the altar is open for you to come and do business with the Lord. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.